0: Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard.
1: Welcome, everyone. So glad you can join us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Today, we're going to talk about God's kingdom purpose for man, and this is going to be part two. So we're going to focus on the fall of man and the covenants of God. Now, if you haven't listened to the first part of this series, which was called God's kingdom purpose for man, dominion, it's episode 31. You'll want to go back and listen to that episode first so that you're able to follow and know where we're at when we get dive into this second part.
0: Yeah, you really, really need to do this. If you haven't listened to episode 31, go back and listen to it before you listen to this one because we're laying the groundwork for this this whole kingdom a doctrine, and it's really important for people to go step by step so that they understand where it's coming from and where it's going. So if you haven't listened to episode 31, just like Liz said, go back and listen to it.
1: Yeah, there's an ABC, there's a process, there's different things you need to understand. And so we we, we did that by explaining, let's say, A <laughs> in episode 31, and now we're going to more content. So it's really, really going to be uh, fruitful and really insightful for you guys to understand a lot Of what's been the missing puzzles in in your life right now you know a lot of churches do not teach this and this is really really important to understand this whole beginning so that we can uh, experience it for our lives and have a closer uh, relationship with God through this so let's do a quick recap in last week's episode so that it refreshes our memory um, we talked about the importance of desiring the truth of God above all things We talked about how the main message of Jesus was about the kingdom of God. Uh, We talked about how God appointed man the rulership of this place called Earth. And we also talked about, which is very key here, what God's sovereignty is and what limits it. So he's limited by his own word. That was very important. So like I said, if you didn't listen to episode 31, go back and listen to it. And now we're going to dive into episode 32.
0: Amen. So, the whole message of the Bible is not about a religion. It's not even about a faith. It's about a kingdom. You see, the whole Bible is an epic story about a kingdom and its king that would be God, the citizens of the kingdom that would be us, the loss of that kingdom to an enemy. That's Satan, and the following enslavement of the citizens, and the ultimate reconquering of the kingdom by the king himself in the person of Jesus Christ, to redeem and free his citizens and ultimately make them heirs of the kingdom and basically make them his children. Okay? So it's a it's a big it's a big epic story. The Bible is an epic story from Genesis to Revelation. And it's about a king, his kingdom, his children, and an enemy that stole that kingdom. So as we lay the groundwork of this understanding in the first episode, and in this episode, we we will continue laying the groundwork. Keep this in mind, okay? Keep what I just said in mind. And last week, we left the episode at the end with a cliffhanger question. And the question was this with man officially in charge in the earth realm what did this imply when man fell so today we'll dig into this question and more than that okay but we'll start by talking about the fall the fall of man i mean if there's a doctrine that we've heard time and again in our churches and uh, everywhere around us uh in the christian christian uh, christianity it's the fall that we're fallen that we need a redeemer. Uh, That's baseline, that's mainstream doctrine in Christianity.
1: The only thing is that we are not told everything that we've lost. And this is why this episode is so important for you to understand because you cannot appreciate what you regain by Jesus Christ if you don't understand exactly what you lost. And a uh, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of preachers don't understand this um, this part. So this is really important. This is probably going to be a lot of uh, new content for a lot of you.
0: Well, I hope so. And I, I hope it really helps you uh, dig in deeper to climb higher. <laughs> yeah. So we've all been taught, like Liz just said, that the fall, like I just said, that the fall is when we sin. Uh, so when we sinned or disobeyed, that's, that's when the fall happened for man, okay? And, and when we disobeyed, when we fell, that's when sin entered the world. And with sin, separation from God, and ultimately, death. So that that is mainstream, we know this, we've heard it time and again. So it's true, okay? But the fall encompasses even more than that, okay? Here's a question for you, speaking of the fall. What did man fall from? I mean, we call it the fall, there must be a reason why we call it the fall. So what did we fall from? You know, some would say that man fell from grace. Some would say that man fell out of relationship with God. Others would argue that man fell from perfection into sinfulness. That's also true. They are all true things. Okay, all these things are true. So, while these all apply to the event of the fall, the ultimate fall of man was a fall from dominion. So, jot that down. The fall of man was a fall from dominion. So, man fell from dominion and everything else fell with him as a result. When Eve made the decision to obey the voice of the serpent, also called the nakash in Hebrew, okay, when Eve made that decision to obey him, Satan, and Adam listened to her, there was a transfer of authority in the earth realm so satan in order to gain legality in this realm needed to take it to take the authority from man so he needed to go through man to get that legality in the realm okay so he did this through deception through cunning and by making man doubt the word of god and it's kind of ironic he still uses the same tactic this day. And when he makes us doubt the Word of God, this renders us ineffective. Okay? If Satan wants to make you ineffective, all he has to do is make you doubt the Word of God. And here's something else you need to understand. God, having given man dominion, could not intervene directly while Eve and Adam were being tempted. Why? Because he had to honor his word. We saw that in the last episode, that God will never transgress his own word. God is, in a way, limited by his word. That's why he doesn't speak that much. (laughs) Okay? So, man was put in charge in the earth realm. So, did God have the power to do it? Of course he did. We know he did. But he didn't have the legal right being limited by his own word. So I'm going to give you a comparison so you can understand the dynamic of why God didn't just step in and and, and cast the the nakash, the serpent, aside and say, move over. You're not going to touch Eve. You're not going to tempt her. Here's here's what it could be compared to. I've been married to Elizabeth for 16 years. When her dad gave her away to me on our wedding day, he promised her to me. That's That's what a father does when he gives his daughter away to be married. He did so willingly and also accepting that the headship of Elizabeth was now my responsibility as a Christian husband. So, this meant that technically he made the decision to stay out of our affairs. He transferred his authority unto me. This is why he respects our life decisions, whether it's about where we live the house we choose to buy, how we spend our money, or where our kids go to school. Whether or not he approves our decisions, he respects them. If he butted in all the time, he would be breaking his own word, and in a way, his own promise. So, he would be acting as if he had not given her away. He would be breaking his promise. And just a parenthesis here, maybe that's why mothers-in-law meddle so much because they don't give anyone away. <laughs> the father does the father does the giving away the promise, but the mothers-in-law, they don't give it. They, they didn't agree to that. <laughs> so maybe that's why they meddle so much. I'm just joking here. All this to say, getting back to the dynamic of the father-in-law giving away his daughter to me, you see, if we consult him on any matter, whether it's about, you know, the house we want to buy or where we'd like to send our kids to school, he will gladly be willing to help or advise us or give us his opinion. He would gladly do it because we invite him to do so. But my father-in-law, bless his heart, has never butted in, and not to any extent anyway, where he would be breaking his own word. And uh, I think that's when he, what any good... Uh, father-in-law, Christian father-in-law should do. And it's, see, it kind of shows you the dynamic. That's why God didn't butt in when he had given authority to Adam, okay, in the earth realm.
1: Yeah, and the same thing when you, exactly, for, for those of you that don't understand this part, is that by my father giving me away to Sebastian, he's also saying to Sebastian that he's responsible for taking care of me, but not just providing financially it's also spiritually it's also in all the decision-making so he doesn't have that power anymore to tell me what to do or to uh, you know be part of those decisions because I ultimately I'm now um, you know one with my husband and I have to make those decisions with my husband right so that's in the context of marriage uh, and you know this was really big for me to understand when I when I was studying Kingdom with Sebastian is you know we always think well you know God is almighty is powerful he can do whatever he wants so you know why doesn't he do this why doesn't he do that in my life and if God is good then this and that and you know we question ourselves we question God on these things oftentimes and so that's why it's so important for you to understand the whole Dominion part because God is so powerful and mighty and he can't go against his own word he can't break his own word so if he says that man has dominion um you know he has to respect what he said so this is what you need to understand so in certain circumstances he can't intervene because of that because he said a certain thing he can't go against his own word
0: yeah and we and we'll uh will dig into that as we go in this whole series which i don't know yet how many episodes we're going to do on this but it, it we're far from done and we're going to talk about all this we're going to talk about how we basically unshackle god from this um dominion thing when we want him to intervene how to do it it's through prayer and we're gonna we're gonna undergo all these teachings as we go so you guys really get a good grasp of hey god is really really good
1: Exactly. Because I
0: think that's the main thing. Oftentimes we fail to see that because we have a, a bad understanding of the dynamic between God and man and the earth realm and heaven's realm and the kingdom of God, how it operates. Oftentimes our misunderstanding uh, of how this should be brings us to think that God gave my mom cancer. God made me lose my job. Uh, God uh, didn't, I, heal, a certain didn't heal my child and my child died. So then we say, and then we kind of feel forcing, but nonetheless, in spite of all this, God is good. You know, his will be done. And, and that is a wrong, a faulty thinking of how, who God is, first of all, and what his goodness entails. So we, we have to kind of readjust our and aim. What,
1: and what part we have to play in and this. And what part we have to play in this. people don't understand. Yeah, it. and
0: we'll look at all this during the series. It's going to get real exciting, guys. Not in this episode. This episode is going to be exciting on its own. But we're not going to tackle this thing uh, just but yet. But I just
1: wanted to re-mention that because you said earlier when you were talking about Adam being tempted and you said, did he have the power to do it? Did, man, did God have the power to intervene? And, um, you know, and you're Absolutely, saying, and yeah. you're saying he's being limited by his own words. So for a lot of people that could be kind of mind puzzling. It, like it is. How... Yeah.
0: It can be my, like, well, if he has the power and he's like, why didn't he just barge in there and, and just stop all this from happening? Right. Yeah. And, uh, we're going to understand the dynamics of all that as we go along. Okay. So, uh, so this example, I hope of the father-in-law thing, I hope it helped you to understand a little bit more. So. God didn't intervene when the serpent came to tempt Eve, okay? But God, by giving man dominion, had what we could call a non-intervention clause in his contract with man. So he was bound by his word. We, we saw that. Uh, we also saw how he could have easily stopped Eve. I mean, he's God. It's just like it would have been so easy. However, if he had intervened and stopped Eve from taking the fruit, he would have broken his word and then Satan would have had a field day. And I mean big time. And I don't even know what the implications would have been because I think it, it's over my, <laughs> the limits of my upper theological knowledge to understand what would have happened if God had broken his word then mm-hmm. to step in. Would we have seen the fall of God? I don't even dare entertain such thoughts because I don't think it's possible. But at the same time, if he had lied, if Satan would have been able to make God lie by having him step in.
1: Which is impossible because he's without which, sin.
0: Which could have been his plan. Which could have been well, his hope. Maybe yeah, Satan was, was hoping secretly. <laughs> like sure. I hope he steps in. Oh, I really hope he intervenes. But at the same time, we, we I, I cannot even fathom what would have happened, okay? So, uh if that had happened the whole plan of god's redemption of man would have probably been made impossible if god had broken his word okay and, and yet and like i said this is kind of high theologically for me to even conceive another example i could give you okay in the everyday life is imagine if you're renting a house from a landlord so this is where you live with your loved ones and your goods even if the landlord owns the house and the land that it's on, he can't just come in your house uninvited whenever he wishes. Every renting agreement comes with a special clause that the landlord cannot come in your house whenever he wants. You have to invite him in, even if he owns the house. You have legal rights in this house, even if the house doesn't legally belong to you. He can only come in when you give him permission. So, what you need to understand is that the kingdom of God is ruled by law. And law is whatever the king says. And we know that God is king. And we know that his word is law. So, when he gave dominion to man, it became law. It was law, okay, in this earth realm. We will see more about the laws of the kingdom as we advance in this series as well. So, for now, here are some of the main things we need to know about what happened at the fall of man. Number one, you can jot those down. These are This is good stuff. So, number one, man lost his dominion. That's the main thing. And in doing so, he transferred dominion to Satan, who became, according to Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 30, the prince of this world. And according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the god of this world, small g. Interesting here, huh? And according to Ephesians 2, 2, the prince of the power of the air. So, all... Those are all titles of rulership, as you can see, okay? And by the way, this implies indirectly that man, before his fall, was all of these things. Prince, ruler, and even, and I'm going to say something that here that I don't want to be misunderstood, but I'm going to quote scriptures, little g-gods. Because according to Psalm 82, and restated by Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, The Pharisees were uh, pressing Jesus. They were mad at him because he called himself the Son of God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I'm the Son of God? So this is one of the, uh, you know, if they were to make a book and they, they have made books like that about tough sayings of the Bible or difficult passages of the Bible to understand, this is probably one of those, okay? And yet we can't break this, the scriptures. I didn't say it. I didn't, I didn't say it was a God. But it, Jesus is using that statement from the Psalms and saying, you are God. So what, what's my understanding of it? My understanding of it is this. The authority we were given in the earth realm was so high... That it was, in a way, making us small g gods upon the earth. Okay? That's how I understand it. And I'm not saying, I, I don't want uh, you guys to think that I'm saying, like the New Agers are saying, that we are gods and that, that we have the power of God and all that. The, there's, a, there's a line you don't want to cross there. God is God. Okay? And whatever authority he gives his creatures or create his creation, that is the authority we run with. Okay, But he, we were given, before the fall, a very high authority. Very, very high. So, we fell from a very high position in a state. Number two. Jot that down. When man fell, man inherited a sinful state. So, from the point of the fall to today, man, all men, all women, are born in sin. This means that man is born unregenerate, sinful, and automatically guilty before God from birth, okay? That's original sin, and we are by birth guilty because we are descendants of Adam, and we are born in this broken system, okay? And we are broken beings as soon as we're born because we are not yet living in uh, our glorified, resurrected bodies. So, as a result, man needs faith, repentance, and God's grace to be put back in a right relational status with God. This is our redemption. Christ came to earth, died, and rose again to give man this opportunity. This is the message, the message that we've all heard, the message of salvation, that has enabled so many of us to be redeemed. Glory to God. The sacrifice of Christ and His subsequent resurrection is the only door, the only way, To inherit the kingdom of God. To become a kingdom citizen with rights here and now on earth. To have the kingdom of God ignited within you by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said that. Jesus said that the kingdom is within you. And finally, to live in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God, once you die. So, it's the entry point, okay? to experience the kingdom in all of its glory, here on earth, and later when we die. Number three, when man fell, death, suffering, and sickness came into the world. We are told in Genesis chapter 3 that the consequences for mankind were very dire. First, we became mortal, we became weakened, and vulnerable to illnesses. Second, we became sinners from birth, so from that day on. All of the progeny, all of the descendants of Adam were from birth sinners. And with this, all the wickedness that followed mankind's history, all the murders, all the wars, all the big problems of uh, uh, immorality and all that. And also, another consequence was for the woman. She inherited, as we know, painful childbirth and also a desire for her husband. Now, this desire for her husband, it doesn't mean that she wants him. No, no, no. When you take the time to study the Hebrew text, and I don't have time to go in detail here, but you guys can do that in your own spare time. When you examine the Hebrew text, it means that she would want to rule over him, but that he would rule over her. So, the the, the consequence was like, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Okay? So, in other words... There would now, from this moment on, be an inherent struggle between the man and the woman. Harmony would be difficult to achieve. In other words, I'm going to put it in simple terms, the battle of the sexes had begun, which was not a reality before that. And it started with one one statement from Adam. This battle of the sexes started with one statement from Adam after the fall. As soon as Adam said in Genesis 3.12, the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit of the tree and i ate it boom starting to shift the blame you did this you did that if you've been married it's happened to you i'm sure when you get into an argument with your spouse it can get really ugly really fast if you're not able to own up to your side to to your responsibility right yeah and if you're not (laughs) forgiving it can get really ugly really fast liz knows this i know this and if you're married you know this too Number 4 and this this is big. Painful toil and sweat became our lot. Painful toil and sweat became our lot. Initially, Adam had been placed in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 to work it and take care of it. So this was the purpose of man, he was placed in that beautiful place called the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And Can you imagine? I mean, this was pretty much your typical dream job. There was no painful toil and sweat there. It kept Adam busy. It gave him purpose as a regent of God's creation. So he was like to be the administrator of all this beauty and glory and all that. So he was literally working as a gardener in paradise. That was Adam's job that, that was given to him from God. But when he fell from dominion, he was now going to have to work hard, like real hard, in this newly fallen and bruised creation. There's an expression in French that I've heard my mother say, and uh, maybe my grandmother, I don't remember. I think my grandmother used to say that. It's, uh, they used to say, Tu travailles pas pour le diable, travailles pas pour le diable, and this in English means, You're not working for the devil. Uh, but this expression has another component to it. Sometimes we'd retort as a, jo- as a joke, oh, I'm not working for the devil, I'm working for his brother. Which, which was a way of saying, yeah, I know what you're saying, I'm not working for the devil, but I'm still working pretty darn hard. They're really running me over there. <laughs> this right. is tough. So I'm working for his brother. So meaning that your hard work feels as if you're working for the devil's brother or pretty close to the devil himself. With the fall and Satan taking dominion away from man, It was now pretty similar to that. Painful toil and sweat. Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 to 19 puts it this way. This is the consequence to Adam. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So there's also the curse of death there that's associated in this whole paragraph. It's a very dire consequence of the fall. So since that day... We have been operating under an earth curse system, I guess we could call it that, an earth curse system, that causes us to have to painfully toil and sweat to obtain our sustenance. If you're an entrepreneur and you don't know this, well, give me your recipe. <laughs> well, I mean, we, right, if you've been working a job nine to five, you know this. If you're an entrepreneur, there's a joke that says an entrepreneur is someone who works 80 hours to avoid 40 for someone else. Well, it's, This is all a lot of hard work just to get, you know, to obtain your sustenance and then some, if you're an entrepreneur and you're very successful, you're going to have more than, more than enough, but it's still going to demand a lot from you.
1: And just keep on listening to this series because as an entrepreneur, eventually as we...
0: uh, Oh, we have good news. There's good stuff coming. I'm giving you the bad now. I kind of let the bad... We're
1: going to get to the good stuff and you're going to see how you can apply it as an entrepreneur, uh, as a Christian believer... Uh, whether you ne- you're an entrepreneur or not, you'll be able to apply uh, a lot of this to, to have good come in your life. Yeah, we're going to gonna get to the good stuff <laughs> when we
0: reach the New Testament. Right now in the, the Old Testament, it's a bit hard to listen to. But you need to really get a good grasp on what we lost Okay, before you understand what Christ gave us back. And exactly. we're going to get to that in the next episode. And So keep that in mind. By all means, don't tune us out. Don't go like, man, this is so negative, I just feel so depressed, now I'm going to leave this podcast, (laughs) they're depressing me. Please don't do that. Just stick around. Good stuff is coming, but I'm laying the groundwork in the first and second episode so that we can really build on something solid, okay? Because I want you to have good knowledge, knowledge that you're going to be able to build upon. And for that, we need to build a foundation solid, okay? So we'll just keep going, okay? So like I said, under this earth curse system, which Satan rules, it's been excessively difficult for man, okay? So you need to painfully toil and sweat and fret and stress over money, food, clothing, and shelter. That's what we've been used to doing, right? Uh, And sometimes uh, I used to call that with uh, Elizabeth, I used to tell Elizabeth, I called it the beast system. Uh, Another pastor we listened to, he calls it uh, the um, painful uh, toil and sweat and and, uh, the Anyway, there's broken systems, all kinds of terms you can use to describe it. So under this broken system, only very few are actually able to do enough, run fast enough, gather enough, make enough money to get ahead. That's just the way it is, right? I'm I'm just describing what we've seen since our birth, right? All around us, unless you were born from a family of millionaires and you inherited, I mean... If you're a regular citizen, you've, you've noticed that it takes a lot of work to get ahead. There's a well-known radio host in Montreal I used to listen to when I was about, I don't know, maybe 19, 20 years old. I really liked him. He was funny. And he was also good and truthful. It was a call-in show, and once a lady was calling in, and he was having a discussion with her. He says, <laughs> he says lady, you'll notice that we're often told in high-performance seminars these days, go for it. You can do it. The only problem I've identified from this seemingly encouraging statement is that it doesn't take into account that only one in 1,000 can actually go for it and do it. And he was putting that forth, and I I used to laugh at the time because I I myself was struggling and we were in a recession back then, and that was back in 1993 or something, and we were in a recession and I, I was having a hard time finding a job. So I would laugh, ha, ha ha, funny guy, funny guy, it's true, it's only one in a thousand who actually makes it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he was maybe exaggerating, but still, I mean, you, could, you can tell, it takes a lot of work to get ahead in this broken system, in this painful earth curse system.
1: Which is not what God wants for you. Which
0: is not God's will for you, exactly, very well put, Liz. And as we will see later in much detail, Jesus came to set the captives free and to give Good news to the poor. That's from Luke 4:18. So we're gonna get to the good stuff, but first I <laughs> for your understanding, before you before you can appreciate fully what we've been given by Jesus. you have to understand fully what we lost in Adam, okay? So living as citizens of the kingdom of God and knowing what this actually means is the only way to be freed, ...from the present earth curse system of painful toil and sweat. And we will, like I said, dive into more of this in the next episodes. Number five, jot that down, what we lost at the fall. At the fall, all of creation fell along with man. When man fell, all of earth's creation fell. Thus began things like spilling of blood, illness, predator and prey... Because I, I don't believe that in Eden you had lions, you know, running after zebras and killing them. Uh, death and life cycles. I think this is all consequences of the fall, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. To be revealed in glory, okay? And Romans 8, just a little lower, Romans 8, 22 to 24 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So, Paul is talking about the already and not yet tension. So yeah, we're already benefiting from great uh, graces and 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 blessings from God, but at the same time, we haven't entered yet in our full glory. So we're still uh, groaning and hoping for that. That's our hope as believers. And the whole of creation is waiting for the manifestations of us coming into glory. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? So when man is fully comes into full glory, the whole of creation will be fixed. Okay? It's going to be a beautiful thing. So this earth realm is suffering, just as we are since the fall. It is waiting eagerly for our manifestation because we are the rightful heirs of dominion here. Okay? Not the devil. We're the ones for whom this whole realm was created. We were rightfully the rightful heirs of this dominion. Okay? So, while we are able to take back territory right now from the enemy, we're able to do that right now, our full manifestation will be completed at the second coming of Messiah. Okay? but And like I said, this this right now thing we'll talk about later in another episode. But, right, let's keep going as the consequences of fall. Number six, jot this down. Man, basically, when he fell, when he sinned, gave credence to the words of the devil, kicked God out. That was a way for us to kick him out. We we kicked God out of this realm, okay? So when the woman chose to obey the voice of the serpent and man followed, they transferred the ownership of the earth realm to Satan. They kicked God out when they opened the door to Satan. Now, when man was in charge, he welcomed God in the earth realm. It was a partnership. It was a great thing. It was, uh, the, the relationship wasn't bruised, the relationship wasn't broken, and it was wonderful. But with Satan now legally in charge, through our disobe- disobedience, man found himself living under the legal jurisdiction of a new ruler of the earth realm. And God found himself on the outside looking in, fully capable to intervene, as we've seen before, but bound by his word and in need of a plan to rescue mankind from this mess. And God did have a uh, a plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. So, he made provision for that in case. (laughs) God is no fool. So, this and so much more is why we desperately needed a Savior. Okay? This is very, very important. And number seven, jot that down, God's mercy and grace became absolutely necessary for man. Obviously, all of this drama caused by man's disobedience could have ended right there if God had not chosen to establish a redeeming plan for man. And this plan was made evident through two instances in Genesis. So, the first instance is when he prevented man from having access to the tree of life after the fall. This is mysterious in a way, but it can be understood. You see, death was God's fail-safe when he put man in charge on the earth realm. Okay? When he told him, don't eat of that fruit, because on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. This was a fail-safe. If God had not put that in place, we'd have a big problem. Okay? So, by being possible, death existed, but it was dormant. It was inactive. Okay? Imagine, I don't know, kind of hard to explain, but it was already within man, but it was in sleep mode. But when man disobeyed, it activated death. So when man sinned, he activated death in himself. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And God said of the tree, okay, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. And God's word is binding. <laughs> when God says a thing, it's, it's true. You can, you can bet your life on it. It's true. So, you see, death was dormant in man and would have remained dormant within man forever if he had not sinned. But when man sinned, God's fail-safe, that was God's fail-safe. I know it's a curse. Death is a curse, but it's also a fail-safe. It was activated within man. Why is that? Well, death, although it's seen as a curse, was necessary to give man a chance at redemption. So it was a crucial provision when God also said in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which you have been taken. And he drove the man out and he, uh, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. He didn't want us to touch that tree because the day we would have eaten that tree after what we did would have been big trouble. So, this banishment from Eden, this banishment from taking of the tree of life, protected man from his own destruction. It kept man mortal. It kept man mortal. You see, by becoming mortal, man also became redeemable. Now, that's a very important theological statement here. Why? Well, it's quite simple. If man had been made to live forever in a sinful, fallen state, he would have been stuck. If he had remained immortal, he would have been just like the angels when they sinned and rebelled. See, the angels who sinned and rebelled, they cannot be redeemed. It says in Revelation that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It doesn't say it was prepared for man. Okay, we could talk about hell another time, but th- I'm just saying, if we had eaten from the tree of life after the fall, we would have we would have been stuck in this fallen state forever. Can you can you imagine that? No possible way of getting out of this sinful mode, this mode of That's sin. Awful, would be, that yeah. would have been that would have been awful. So God is good, hasn't he created that failsafe that is seen as a curse? That is a curse. Death is a curse. I mean, if you've had loved ones pass away. If you've seen them on the deathbed, it's not fun. It's not a fun thing. You know, it's troubling. But at the same time, it was necessary. Death makes our present sinful state temporary, not permanent. Death acts as a portal that makes us transfer realms and thus changes our reality and even our our state of being. We pass from souls in a physical body to a spiritual body. So, being mortal grants us limited time in this earth realm, And this limited time is allotted to all of us for the possibility of salvation. Okay. So B, that was A, okay, preventing man from having access to the tree of life. B, the prophecy concerning Messiah. That was the second part that showed God's mercy and grace and how his plan of forgiveness was put forth. So, the prophecy concerning Messiah is also found in Genesis. That's the first time it is uttered. God showed Satan he wouldn't have the last word when he prophesied in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Which is worse, a bruise on the head or a bruise on the heel? everybody would say, well, the head is much worse. Yeah. So, in other words, the seed of the woman will be the victor. So, this was God saying to the devil, I will make a way someday to reestablish the proper dominion in this realm that you have stolen by your craftiness. This is far from over. You will lose. In other words, this was Yahweh saying to Lucifer, Oh, It's on. Now, isn't that exciting? God was going to have the last word. So now we're going to talk about God's process of re-entry, of bringing himself back into this earth realm. You see, in warfare, when the enemy takes territory from from you, you need to devise a plan to take it back. So when the earth realm was taken by the devil in his clever Genesis scheme... It became legally his. Even Jesus did not dispute Satan's claim. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, when the devil was tempting Jesus in, in the desert, it says this, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So we see uh, like, like the, the reality of Satan uh, having the rulership from that moment on. And when Jesus came, he really didn't want, to, want Jesus to succeed at his plan. So he tempted in and, and he failed. But here's something you need to understand here. I'm going to go down a little parenthesis here. Here's here's something you need to understand. To have legality in the earth realm, you need a physical body. So we're talking about God re-entering, right? God's process of re-entry. So we're going to look at that. But before we go in, I want you to understand this very important uh, reality, okay? So you need a body to have legality in the earth realm. Why is that? Well, every living creature on the earth has a physical body from the smallest cell to the biggest whale to the smallest mouse to the giant sequoia tree. God has decreed it this way. That's how God chose to create this realm, okay? It was to be populated by physical bodies, whether it's plants, animals, or humans. So, number one, this is why when you die, you have to leave the earth realm. When you die and don't have a body anymore, you become illegal on Earth. You have to go back where you came from, okay? Number two, this is why demons want to enter human bodies all the time. This is basically their pathetic attempt at becoming legal in the Earth realm. They know they are illegal, okay? And that's why they want to enter a body. That's why when uh, Jesus cast out the demons from the um, uh, Guderian... I I, I always have a hard time pronouncing that. Anyway, there was a demon-possessed man, and they pleaded. There was a legion in there, and they pleaded. They said, please uh, send us into those pigs over there. They needed bodies. They wanted bodies. They didn't care what bodies they were. They prefer humans, of course, because they can do more more mischief and trouble. But when they're pushed against the wall, they're going to take basically anything. So they were sending the pigs, but that didn't work out either because the pigs all killed themselves. Okay, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Number three, I, I kind of like the cleverness of Jesus saying, Sure, yeah, go in the pigs. <laughs> it's kind of like having a, a field day there, huh? <laughs> With the, those demons. Like, yeah, sure, go in the pigs, no problem. So he got rid of uh, what was called back in the old days uh, unclean meat. And he got rid of those devils because they had to they couldn't stay in dead bodies when they fell off once they fell off the cliff, it was over. So (laughs) they were back in the wilderness having trouble. Uh, Number three. This also is why God became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Incarnate, carn means, you know, carnivorous, carn means flesh. In the flesh, in the person of Jesus. It was the best way for him to enter the earth realm fully and legally to take back what the enemy had stolen. But like I said, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I am very excited, as you can see. I can't wait to talk about Jesus when he came and what, what that did and how that fixed everything. But
1: Me too. <laughs> we'll get to it.
0: We'll get to it. But I need to build that groundwork for you guys. You need to understand all this. Okay, so we're talking about God's process. It's a process. It wasn't, an auto, like, it wasn't like turn the switch on and boom, Jesus is there and fixes everything. There was a process, and that process is seen all throughout the Old Testament. I'm gonna to try to go fast, okay? I don't want to I don't want this podcast to last five hours. So, before God could come in the earth realm in the person of Jesus Christ, he had to set some wheels in motion. Remember, the Bible tells us in Galatians 4 4 that God sent his son in the fullness of time. What does this mean, the fullness of time? Well, the expression fullness of time can also mean after a due length of time has elapsed eventually. Uh, There's other synonyms I could could point out, and you're going to maybe get a better grasp of what in fullness of time means. In due course, when the time is ripe. I actually like that one, when the time is ripe. Eventually, in time, in time to come, at a later date, one day, someday, sooner or later, in a while, after a while, etc. These are all synonyms of in the fullness of time. But I like in the fullness of time, it really explains it. It was like when the time was at its fullest, when the time was the best, when it was the best opportune moment in history. Okay, never forget that. Jesus came at the best opportune time in history. So God first had to re-establish his covenant with man. Because remember, man sinned. Huh? Man now has a broken relationship with God. Man through disobedience has a broken relationship with God, but Christ has to come in the fullness of time. So we can't bring Christ in the picture just yet. So how can God have that relationship with man to have some kind of influence in the earth realm? Because remember, God needs man in the earth realm to have access, to have legal right, okay? So to put it lightly, man and God were not on very good speaking terms. You know, we were children of disobedience. I'll give you an example. If you have children and your child steals $20 from you, and you know he stole twenty dollars from you. And then your child comes up and says, Hey mom, can I have some cookie? Are you gonna give him a cookie? Sure, son, here have a cookie. Not. I mean I, I mean I have a son. And if that were to happen, I wouldn't give him any cookie. I would say, Why would I keep why should I give you a cookie? <laughs> He'd be like, uh
1: Do you have something to tell me? Do you have something to me?
0: <laughs> t- <laughs> anything you'd like to confess first? Anyway, you So before you give him a cookie, you'd have to fix the relationship. You would have to either apologize for $20 and give it back or whatnot or make amends for it or whatever. Maybe work, wash my car, and then you can have a cookie. Anyway, what I'm saying here is that there was a broken relationship there. So, and not only a broken relationship, but there was a process that needed to be done until Christ could come in the fullness of time. Okay? So God needed what we could call a few good men okay, a few good men, that's an expression in the army, in the earth realm, to, over time, make his big move in the person of Jesus Christ to enter the earth realm and really shake things up. So that's where the covenants of God came into play. And we're going to look at the covenants of God. Remember, the title of this episode is The Fall of Man and the Covenants of God. So we're going to look at the covenants of God as fast as we possibly can. There's a lot of uh, meat here, but let's, let's just dive in. So first, he chose Noah to get rid of the vermin on one hand, but also to re-establish his law of intent. Genesis chapter 9 is a reiteration of God's desire for man found first in Genesis 1. And Genesis chapter 9 is after the flood. So after the flood, Noah comes out with his sons and God... Uh, says to Noah what is called the Noahic Noahic covenant and it reads as follows so genesis chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 then god blessed noah and his sons saying to them be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea they are given into your hands Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Now, that's very interesting, isn't it? So we're like, well, well, there you go. God fixed everything back. The covenant's back on. Everything's back on. It seems like Satan is not the prince of this earth anymore. Not. Maybe you weren't paying attention. Okay? Because although it does sound a lot like the be fruitful and multiply from Genesis you will notice one major difference between this passage of, the, uh, uh, of what he said to Noah and what he said to Adam and Eve. There's one big word missing, and the big word missing is dominion. The word dominion is now absent. So God cannot give man full dominion. Okay, So he basically reestablished man's headship over all other creatures in the earth realm, but he didn't give him full dominion. In other words, control of this realm. Okay. So it's more like, uh, we are at the top of the food chain now <laughs> kind of thing, you know, which is good. Well, I mean, that's great, but it, we're not back. We're not back to where we're supposed to be. Okay. So after the flood, God's creation got a reset, but a partial one. Satan is still ruling. Man still has to work under the earth curse system and Satan is still prince of this world. Also under this covenant, God gave, as we all know, the rainbow as a reminder that he would never again flood the whole earth. But the kingdom of God was not yet. Let me repeat that, the kingdom of God was not yet. Number two. Secondly, he chose Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham to begin his master plan of re-entry and reconquering. The word covenant has the following synonyms. Okay, I'm going to give you synonyms of covenant so that you get a better grasp of it. I I like doing that. I, I love dictionaries for that. So, a covenant is an agreement. It can also be called a contract, a compact, a treaty, a pact, an accord, a deal, a bargain, a settlement. A pledge a promise you get the picture right you get the picture so this is what a covenant is and I explained earlier how in order to have legality in the earth realm God needs able-bodied men who are in agreement with him and his word thus who are in covenant with him to have full access so God needs men who agree with him who's like yeah sure I'll work with you God to have access okay biological bodies are needed in this realm to be legal and able. This is why God made a covenant with Abraham, who was before Abraham. He was called Abram. The covenant with Abraham, when Abraham came in agreement with God, was the equivalent of God creating a beachhead in the earth realm through man. So, what's a beachhead? I gotta explain that because it's another military term and I want you guys to get a good picture. So, in military terms, a beachhead is a defended position on a beach taken from the enemy by landing forces. In this case, the enemy would be God because he's the enemy of Satan coming back in the earth realm, right? So, the enemy, the invading army, comes and secures an area on the beach, okay? So, that area is secured. They can even put up a couple tents, you know, and uh, put up their radio and start communicating and start, you know, spreading out from there. But you need first to secure the beach. You know, that's what they did in Normandy. They had to secure the beach before they could enter even farther. Okay? So, that's what God did in the earth realm with Abraham. He created a beachhead. The Abrahamic covenant is composed of three main things. Number one, the promised land of Canaan, which later became to be named uh, Israel, but it's that parcel of land that's been central in the scriptures. And Genesis 12.1, It says, go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. Okay, and he promised him that land was to be um, conquered through Moses. Okay, the promised land. It became the promised land. Number two, the promise of numerous offspring in Genesis 15, 5. So he took Abraham outside. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So you're, you're going to have, there's going to be a lots of descendants from you. And what's great about that is, it's not only uh, there's going to be more people born, but there are going to be people who are going to be in agreement with me. Okay? So that The covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, was a promise of, hey, not only are going to have a lot of sons and daughters and grandchildren coming from you, but these are going to love me and worship me and walk with me. Okay? Okay? Uh, Number three, the promise of blessings unto the world. That's Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, we see uh, believers, you know, when they spread the message of the scriptures, and that message flows through them and spreads from one country to the next, to the next, to the next. It's called called good news for something, right? Well, they become a blessing, right? So these three promises definitely indicate a retaking of territory. The first has to do with land. The second has to do with growth in numbers, right? Many offspring. And finally, the third has to do with positive influence, and expansion. Okay? To be a blessing, to the the name becoming great, and be a blessing to all the, the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, this is very interesting. You see, the whole idea of creating the earth realm was for God to create what we could call a colony of heaven in a different realm. Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's basically... God creating a new realm and saying, I want to populate this new realm, but they're going to be like a colony of heaven. It's going to be an expansion of my kingdom in a new, different realm. So he was excited. God, when he created the earth, heaven and earth he was excited. This must have been amazing. I mean, <laughs> so you could compare it to the Commonwealth, you know, the British Commonwealth. Every country in the Commonwealth is a colony of Great Britain. The Commonwealth was Great Britain spreading its influence abroad. I and Elizabeth, we both, we live in Canada, okay? We are part of the British Commonwealth. On our money, we still have the picture of the Queen of England. We are a colony of Great Britain. So is South Africa. Bahamas. The Bahamas, and there are so many other places where England spread its influence and conquered some territory, which became part of the Commonwealth. So, earth is a colony of the kingdom of God. We were colonized with the rulership of heaven. This is why, in the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's interesting to note that when Jesus taught that prayer, his disciples had asked him teach us how to pray. And Jesus was on earth. And the Holy Spirit had not shown up yet. So, he taught them to pray, Thy kingdom come. Right. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's fascinating, isn't it? We'll get to that in later episodes. You'll see it's really good stuff. So, after the Abrahamic covenant, men who followed the faith, okay, so men who were born after that covenant, who also followed the God of Scripture, began calling themselves sons of Abraham. This is to say we are sons of the promise. But what promise? Ultimately, This promise had to do with kingdom expansion and influence through territory, descendants and influence. So, the covenant of God with Abraham was crucial, crucial, okay? You cannot conquer anywhere unless you create a beachhead. So, that was God creating his beachhead, but the kingdom of God was not yet. Thirdly, Third covenant, he built up the pillars of the kingdom by establishing Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, and his sons. So, Jacob then came in the picture. He was renamed Israel, through whom God established the 12 tribes of Israel, who are his 12 sons. Okay. God was solidifying his retaking of territory by establishing 12 tribes named after Jacob's sons. The promise to Jacob reads like this in Genesis 35, verses 10 to 15. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Again, that that command from Genesis. See how it's so consistent with God's character. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and... Kings shall come from your body. So God already knew that there would be kings in Israel. Okay? Even if the, even if the people had not yet asked for a king. Just a little parenthesis like that. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you. And to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. A pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering on it. And he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. So, God here reiterates his desire for his people to be fruitful and multiply, as we've seen. But he also mentions kings and nations, plural with an S. This is very interesting. Kings and nations. That's interesting. You see, the plan was moving along more and more towards kingdom vocabulary. As, the, as the, the God's re-entry is moving along throughout history and His covenants, His diverse covenants, we see more and more kingdom vocabulary. But the kingdom of God was not yet. Fourthly, the fourth covenant, He allowed His people to be made familiar with an earthly king. He allowed His people to be made familiar with an earthly king. When Israel begged God for a human king, God warned them through the prophet Samuel. Okay. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. In other words, when a king comes to reign over you, you owe stuff to the king, and he can do whatever he wills with the people. Because he's the king, his word is law, his world his word rules, okay. So if they get a good king, great, they're going to be happy. If they didn't get a good king eh, it could pose a lot of problems. So in spite of Israel's rejection of himself as their king, God nonetheless made a covenant with Israel's great king David. So Saul was the first king. okay and after that came David, as you know, and God made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 16, God says this to King David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Imagine that. He's going to bless his seed. Who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will Imagine that. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity... I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul. Now, he's talking about Solomon, right? He's just telling David, Don't don't fret, don't worry. I'm going to take good care of your son. And even farther than your son. Like, your throne will be established forever. Okay? Uh, So, uh, My mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you your throne shall be established forever that's in second samuel 7 12 to 16 and we know that christ is calls himself son of david christ was a descendant of david and we know christ sits on the throne christ is king and his throne is established forever so that's an amazing promise of fulfillment right there god allowed israel to have an earthly king because even though they rejected him in the process he knew that some good would come of it and that he could use this model to usher in his kingdom it was good for the people to be made familiar with imperfect kings and kingdoms before they would be given a perfect king and kingdom okay it was it was a a learning curve if you will for the people to have to deal with human royalty a human king imperfect, you know, with all its fallacies, before they could really truly appreciate the kingdom of God and the one true king who is perfect and sinless and blameless before God, Jesus Christ, okay? So they would come to appreciate it more when Jesus came. And Jesus the Christ would be born from King David lineage, right, as we saw, and he Jesus loved to call himself the Son of David. He called himself Son of Man. We also call himself Son of David. He never called himself, a preacher once mentioned that, and I thought it was interesting, um, Son of Abraham. Christ identified with a king. and I think there's something powerful there about Jesus Christ. He never called himself a son of Abraham hmm. because he was to deliver the promise. He was not to inherit the promise, right? See, uh, the sons of Abraham inherited the promise. He was the son of David. But the kingdom of God was not yet. So, all of these covenants made with man on earth were wheels set in motion by God to come in the flesh when, as we have seen, it was to happen in the fullness of time and then he would establish his perfect kingdom. Okay, so you understand why these covenants happen. You understand how the Old Testament is all leading to the ushering in of the kingdom. This cumulative pinnacle moment in earth's history when Christ showed up. As believers, we now live under the new covenant. Under the kingship of Christ. And it has been so for the 2,000 plus years. Okay, When Christ came... He brought with him permanent access to the kingdom of God. Permanent access. Not just the access, but the kingdom itself. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. So, I'm going to ask you a question. I love, I love having a cliffhanger moment when we reach the end of a podcast. I'm going to ask you a question. When Christ came, what changed? And the short answer is, everything changed. Everything. Adam lost the kingdom, and Jesus came to bring it back. This will be the subject of our next episode, The Coming of Jesus Christ, what it means for all the believers, what it means for you, what it means for me how impactful it was, and this is what I think has been a little bit of a failure of the teachings we've received, that it was all about salvation, all about salvation, all about salvation. It was about much more than that, and we will see that in the next episode.
1: Exactly. Um, We're we're taught about salvation, and salvation in itself is absolutely amazing that we're able to have access to uh, going to God's kingdom in heaven once we die. But there's so much more to it and this is what we're going to cover. This is what we're going to look into in the next episode 33. So I hope you'll join us for that part because that's going to be very, very exciting and you're going to learn how it applies to you today, which is very important because for me personally. Um, learning of uh, doing these studies and learning about kingdom for a couple of years now um, it's it's been eye-opening to see how there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that have been missing and the more that you dive in and you learn the more that it all makes sense and you see how uh, how important it was for God to come back so that we have uh, a big part to play in this in our today's world while we're alive, not just when we die and go to heaven. Yeah
0: and see that just key here That's the thing that, that people the mistake we make as Christians is is uh, we long for heaven, we want to be in heaven, we want to go to heaven, we're thinking about heaven and God wants us here. That's where God wants that the earth was made for man. This is what this is the place we want us to operate in. Our fullness is here, and and all we want is if we think of heaven and this and that, and and yeah, heaven's going to be a reward someday. But you were made for this place. You are a, you are maximized here when you're operating in the spirit. You are maximized and you are very pleasing to God when you are operating in the fullness of the, of the spirit in the earth realm. <laughs> this is your your purpose.
1: Exactly and that uh, explains that that is the, the sole reason um, one of the biggest parts of doing this series is to really understand your purpose. So I, I we can't you know go into detail with that because that's going to be another episode
0: And we can't fully understand our purpose unless as believers we understand how the kingdom of God operates and what it means to the believer.
1: Exactly. So that's going to help you guys for those of you that are wondering, you know, if you're, you know, maybe you're doing a business that you feel is not exactly your, your sole purpose, you're hungering for more, you want more, and God's, you know, talking to your spirit, but you don't know what that is. Well, you're going to follow this series, and uh, you're going to learn different things that are going to help you to unlock your purpose. So we thank you for joining us on this uh, episode. And we hope that you're going to join us next week for episode 33. So be blessed.
0: And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.